Thanks for listening to Environmental Echo. I'm Holly Shanks, and our podcast series covers a variety of news and information, all relating to the environment, the outdoors, and our community. And now, here's today's topic. Dan Zarlanga is our guest today. He is a St. Louis Region Media Specialist for the Missouri Department of Conservation. He is also a St. Louis native, and he has a unique hobby. Dan photographs the night sky while incorporating nighttime landscapes. Thanks for joining us today, Dan. Well, thanks for having me, Holly. Appreciate it. You know, I have to say, after seeing your photos, I was kind of hooked because they really are beautiful. And when you look at them with the, with the stars in the sky and the surrounding landscape in the photo, it, it kind of makes you feel like you're standing right where you were taking that photo, looking at this gorgeous landscape. Well, you know, uh, gratifying to hear you say that because that's kind of what my hope is when, when I shoot those kinds of photos. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, I've always had an interest in astronomy. Ever since I was a child, I've had telescopes for years and done a lot of observing. I got into photography relatively later, though, you know, probably about seven to eight years ago now. And, you know, I started off just taking a few pictures of the sky and certainly was able to get stars and stuff on constellations. But despite my interest in astronomy, they didn't interest me a whole lot. The pictures didn't. And uh, I just became very interested in incorporating landscape elements and earthbound elements with the stars. And to me, at least I feel it produces a more unique photo and it certainly got me a lot more interested than just seeing, you know, stars. Now, are all of these photos taken in Missouri? Yes, they were all taken in Missouri. I've taken a few in Illinois, but mostly uh, mostly I work in Missouri. Now, how long have you been taking these photos? Well, I would say probably at about uh, six to seven years now. And it's something that I've kind of developed through trial and error and my own style of doing things like everybody else does with anything they do. And say one of the big things to me is integrating the, uh, the environment, the foreground, and the stars, whether it be uh, individual stars. There's a couple of different things I do. Sometimes I shoot like star fields, which are stars that kind of represent what your eye sees, only a little bit more intense. With the advantage of a longer exposure photograph, you can pull out more stars and more detail than you can see in, with the naked eye. And one of my favorite subjects is the Milky Way, which is our own galaxy, uh, as we see it from our perspective in the sky. So I, I do a, a lot with that, but then I also do star trails, which, uh, as probably most folks realize, you know, just like the sun and the moon rise and set and move through the sky during the course of the time they're up, stars do the same thing because of the Earth's rotation. And that motion is something that you can actually capture over an extended period of time. It's kind of like looking at an old analog clock. You know, you look at it, it looks the hands look to be stationary, but if you come back later, they've moved. And if you were to do a continuous um, sequence of shots with that, you would actually see the hands, you know, blurred with movement over time. Same thing happens with the stars. With an extended expo- series of exposures, you can capture the streaks as the stars move through the sky, and that produces very interesting geometric patterns and something that is a phenomenon that we can't normally see but it image is able to capture it now the long exposure that's a, a technical term for use of the cameras in different settings right yes a long exposure you know normally when we take pictures with our you know normal everyday snapshots we're the shutter opens and closes very quickly in the camera whether it's the phone camera or your regular camera or whatever right um and that's usually measured in tenths or usually hundreds or thousands of a second, you know, fractions of a second. To capture, like, the detail in the stars and the night sky, uh, they're very much dimmer than what you see normally you take pictures of, and so you have to leave your shutter open on your camera much, much longer. Uh, the longer the shutter's open, the more light builds up, 
on the sensor or the film in the older days and then you're able to bring out that detail. So exposures for the sky are typically 20 to 30 seconds to get really nice star fields in the Milky Way to see some detail uh, combined with a high sensitivity camera. That also helps too. And to bring out that detail, the star trails though, those, the streaks through the sky as the stars move, those can be anywhere from usually measured in minutes or even hours. Some, I've done, the longest one I've ever done is a three hour sequence showing the stars moving in three hours. I'd say typically it's probably an hour, though, is what I typically do. You know, that was one of my questions. I mean, you know, this takes a while to do this. I noticed there's a tent in some of your photos, so you actually go out and camp out to do this, right? Yeah, I do. I find uh, that's a good opportunity to be in places that look really nice. Also, it helps to have a dark sky away from city lights to be able to take a lot of these photos. And uh, yes, I do a lot of them when I camp, uh, a lot of them when I backpack, and that gets me to some cool locations that I might not be able to get to normally because obviously doing this requires getting somewhere at night or leaving at night or something. And if you're several miles into the backcountry, that might not be practical to do in any other way besides backpacking and getting there during the day, setting up, shooting at night, and then being able to leave the next day. Sure. So this is a dedicated hobby for you for sure then. I mean, because you're spending all this time doing it. Plus, you must have a love of the outdoors. So this has got to be a true love for you, right? Oh, it, it definitely is. It's a passion. It's kind of a quirk almost, but <laughs> it's just something I developed almost kind of a, a compulsion or obsession to try to get as many things with the stars or with the night sky as I can. And I've managed to take pictures combining the sky with uh, flowers, combining it with, you know, of course, rock formations, landscapes, also with flowing water. That was one thing I wanted to do. Like a lot of landscape shooters shoot, you know, streams and falls and things like that trying to incorporate that with the night sky stuff. I, I guess the quirkiest thing I ever did was actually find a, a nice set of uh, honey mushrooms and photograph those with the Milky Way in the background. So that was, got down really low on the ground and shot up and, you know, saw the mushrooms and the, and the stars in the background. So I thought that was kind of a little bit unusual. I have not seen photos like this before. And of course, we have several online with this podcast. So hopefully everyone has seen them. If not, I urge you to look and see what they're all about because they are unique. And you did have, I believe it was your first exhibit, right, at the Dark Room here in St. Louis last year? I, yes, I did have an exhibit there, and uh, the Dark Room has since moved. But, yes, I did have an exhibit there. It was in uh, May and June of last year. And that was about 20 or 24 photographs of various, you know, night sky subjects combining, again, the you know, some kind of terrestrial-type subject with the sky and other things I like to also do is whenever there's an interesting, like a lunar eclipse, I've been fortunate enough to capture uh, a couple of, several shots of lunar eclipses. Uh, again, trying to go to an interesting location and capture the red moon with the interesting foreground subject. And so I'm always on the lookout for interesting things like that, too. Now, was that your first photo exhibit? I've done some exhibits uh, elsewhere, too, with our nature centers, our borough woods nature center in kansas city area and also here at power valley nature center uh in kirkwood so i've done some exhibits there as well in those two places you know of course you know a a lot of us will never know what it's like to have an actual art exhibit because that's what these photos really are to me and they're art so what's it like to have a photo exhibit well you know it's kind of um i don't know what you call i was i was had to get used to the idea that i was exhibiting photos you know uh, because i guess i'd never really done that before but it's interesting to hear some of the comments. Uh, one of the comments I heard from some of the staff at Power Valley was that folks did comment 
unique they were and that they hadn't seen anything like that before and that they seem to attract a a fair amount of interest, which I find gratifying because I hope I'm able to, you know, capture something that people are interested in looking at or or at least evoke something in their imagination or whatever. So it's, you know, it's a good feeling to let other people see what you've been doing and how you've been spending your, you know, hours and hours in the dark. (laughs) Yeah, it would be really neat to do that and actually to hear the feedback. So are these photos enhanced or, you know, like through Photoshop or something like that, or are they just exactly how they are? Actually, it's a it's a involved process to get a lot of the photos. Most of them are. I do work with Photoshop. Um, I like to say that I don't. I put photos together, but I don't fabricate photos. In other words, what you see in the, all the images was actually in front of the camera. So it's not like I added things that weren't really there. Okay. Um, but in order to capture all the different aspects of the scene, because we're dealing with very different things, you know, Milky Ways or Star Trails, along with whatever's in the foreground, whether it be, you know, uh, landscape or rock formations or ice or whatever it may be, requires very different camera settings to optimize for each one of those things. So oftentimes I will take one image, say, that's optimized for the sky. All this time my camera is locked down on a tripod. I frame up my composition, lock it down, take an image for the sky that's optimized to capture that detail, then and focused at infinity. Then I will take another series of shots focused on the foreground and the camera settings optimized for that particular image. And then I, I will a lot of times do what's called light painting, where you take uh, a light, could be flashlights, could be headlamps, number of different lighting tools I use, and illuminate the foreground subjects. So that leaves me several different layers, if you will, a background layer, which has got the sky and the stars or the Milky Way or star trails or whatever it is. Then I might have several different layers of the foreground, which I've light painted and lighted different aspects of the foreground. And then I blend all, all of those together into the final composite image. And that allows me to get every aspect of the scene in proper focus, properly exposed and properly what I would consider properly rendered. Wow, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> I don't know that I would have the patience to actually go and do all of that, but uh, I certainly like the product that, that happens from that, though. Well, a lot of them do take a lot of post-processing work to put it together, and so are, are they enhanced? Um, yes, of course I do, you know, um, things with contrast and uh, exposure adjustments and sure, uh, sure. Um, color shifts and all that to make them look their best, but as far as was that rock or that flower really there and was the Milky Way really behind it? Yes, that's exactly what it was. And could I have gotten that in one exposure? Probably not, because if I optimized for the Milky Way, the flowers wouldn't look good. They would be out of focus or something. And sure. if I shot for the flowers, the Milky Way would not have registered because I you know, wouldn't have a long enough exposure. Would you have seen those items in the frame if I hadn't used light to paint them, quote unquote? No, you wouldn't have seen them. They would have been dark. So. There's, uh, you know, so I do enhance them, if you will, but I look at it like if you take a photo with a flash, with a flash, you know, you've seen the person's face that the flash wasn't there? No, but, you know, the person's face was really in front of the camera. So I guess that's the best way I could explain it. I think that explains it really well. How long did it take you to learn all of these different settings and things that you just explained? Because that would take some time and practice. You're right. It does take some time and practice, and a lot of it, I mean, I've read online different things, um, read in some books and then a lot of it was trial and error and just kind of developing my own style and workflow like anyone else would do with any other thing they pursue you know I kind of found something that feels I feel like it works for me and that's what I do but I've also tried to branch out 
for example, I mentioned about the light painting, so you can see the foreground. Mm -hmm. I'm going into some other areas, too. We're shooting during the moon. When the moon is out, you don't get as brilliant of stars, but the moon illuminates the foreground for you, and then, so I've utilized that. I've also done situations where, again, I have the camera planted and my composition locked, and I photograph a scene in twilight. When the sun is down, but there's still that lingering twilight, photograph that, then keep the camera locked down, wait till it gets fully dark, and then photograph the stars or Milky Way or star trails or whatever, and then I combine those two images. The advantage there is, with my lighting tools that I use, I really can't light things much beyond, say, 30 to 50 feet. Beyond that, it's pretty dark. But if you utilize Mother Nature's light with twilight or the moonlight, you can illuminate an entire landscape, even hills miles away. And I find that to be kind of a, you know, a, a neat look to the image, too. So that's another thing I use. And is it enhanced? Well, yeah, I took the photo at two different times and combined the two, but I didn't add something that wasn't really there. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, and the effects work. I mean, because, you know, you're really drawn in, just like I had said at the beginning, for sure. Now, for listeners that are in an urban area, can they go out and see the night sky as well? Because I know the lights, you know, for an urban area are kind of prohibit sometimes the night sky being as clear as it could be. So is there places that, that they can go around the St. Louis area that would allow them to see the sky? Well, really? yeah, um, you do have that issue with light pollution. Light pollution being, you know, the accumulative effect of all the city lights from houses to billboards to businesses to shopping malls to cars, you know, all that stuff, street lights, all that adds up to create a light, what's called a light dome around an urban area. And that does obliterate a lot of what you can see. It's hard to see the Milky Way, for example, in an urban area, even in St. Louis County. And a lot of stars you can't really see, and very few of them in St. Louis City. So, yeah, it does involve getting out a little ways from St. Louis to be able to see some of those things. Uh, an hour to two hours is ideal. There's a number of conservation areas that a person can go during certain times and be able to be farther away from uh, city light, more rural areas, and see more stuff. Uh, there's also state parks. Camping and you know is a great way out in the country to see these kinds of things, too. From the city, of course, you can still see things bright, things like the moon, and that's something you can still watch and observe. But if you want to see some of the more intricate, you know, stars, patterns, and the Milky Way, you do need to get a little farther out. Would Bush Conservation Area up around Weldon Springs, would that be far enough? Um, that would be better. You're certainly better uh, than you would be, say, in downtown St. Louis or deep into St. Louis County. But really, to get the most spectacular views, you need to go farther out. I would say at least an hour outside of St. Louis, and to really get the most, the darkest skies in the state, you'd probably need to travel two to three hours. In some of the areas of the Mark Twain National Forest, uh, and some of those areas are, are really dark. One of the things that we are facing here with merging technology is an issue of light pollution, and I know some folks may have seen online pictures of the satellite photos of the Earth at night. What you what that reveals is all the lights that you can see, you know, in the cities. And if you zoom into some of those areas, you will see that you have to go quite a ways away from an urban area to get into really dark skies. And, and that's the same way with St. Louis. I know light pollution is a real thing. I mean, they say it affects health, it affects the environment, it affects animals. So how would this affect the animals and the environment that they live in? Well, you know, I'm not sure we totally know that answer because it's something that probably needs to be studied still. But I know there is evidence that suggests that a lot of animals use 
actually use the stars as a navigational cue when they migrate, like birds and, and perhaps other animals, just like the sailors of old used the stars, you know, to navigate the seas. And obviously, if you go into, if they're flying through a light polluted area, like a large urban complex, that does inhibit their ability to see the stars and to navigate. So there's a lot of effects that those kinds, I mean, everyone's aware of the effects of like chemicals and trash and things like that that can affect wildlife, and that's a lot easier to see. But I think other things like light pollution or sound pollution and those kinds of things have effects that we are just now starting to realize. And people, you know, and animals have certain rhythms. They're based on the day-night cycle, and that gets disrupted when we have 24-hour day, so to speak, of, of light So, uh, in the urban areas. So I think that does have some effect on animals and perhaps even people. Yeah, I think there's a whole organization out there that is just focusing on light pollution. And the more we learn, the more we know, and the more we can address those problems. I just want to get back to your photos just for a second. I think they are absolutely gorgeous. Thank you so much for sharing them with us. And we're going to wrap things up here a little bit. But uh, is there anything else you want to add that I may not have asked? Well, you know, I just uh, would encourage people to get out and enjoy the sky. Appreciate it. It is part of our natural heritage. It's part of nature, just like flowers or mushrooms or frogs or deer or trees you know it is part of nature it may not be here on earth but you know it is we've evolved everything on earth has evolved with the the sky and obviously lunar cycles affect uh, life on earth the sun we get all of our life from the sun which is just a really close star so you know i do believe that the to sound like carl sagan a little bit i do believe the cosmos is a, is a source of our life and it's something neat to appreciate and, and be respected Thank you so much for your information and explaining what you do and how you do it. And thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Holly. This is Holly Shanks for Environmental Echo. Until next time, thanks for listening.